Good afternoon. Welcome to the Econews Report. I'm your host this week, Annie Maher, Programs Coordinator at the North Coast Environmental Center. The Econews Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Econews. Don't forget, you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives page at khsu.org. Today, my guest is Mark Lovelace, former third district supervisor for Humboldt County. Thanks for being on the Econews Report today. Thanks for having me. So a little bit of background. Today, we are discussing the Board of Supervisors election coming up June 5th. While the NEC in no way intends to persuade you to vote for any particular candidate, we simply want to give you background on the role of the Board of Supervisors plays in each county, why that matters for environmental work in the area, and where you can learn more information about your candidates. So upcoming elections for the North Coast include those for 4th and 5th districts in Humboldt County, 1st and 4th districts in Trinity County, and Del Norte County districts 3 and 4. So, Mark, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your history as a Humboldt County supervisor, and how you got there? Okay. Well, I served on the Humboldt County Board of Supervisors from 2009 through 2016. And prior to that, I cut my teeth on a number of environmental issues in Humboldt County, starting with the Sunnybrae Community Forest, or what would become the Sunnybrae Community Forest. I got involved with issues regarding Pacific Lumber Company and rode that all the way through their bankruptcy and eventually handing off that property to Humboldt Redwood Company, the current owner. And during all of that was also involved with an organization called the Healthy Humboldt Coalition, which was focused on trying to get a good conservation-minded general plan update for the county. And that's the thing more than anything else that led me to running for the Board of Supervisors, because ultimately that would be something that would be approved by the board when it finally came, came to its end. So you served two terms, right? Two terms, yes. And how long is a term for supervisor? It's four years? Yeah, the Board of Supervisors terms are four years, and in Humboldt County, there's no term limit. Some counties do have limits for how many terms their supervisors can serve, but here we don't. Okay, so they can run as many times? As many times as the people will elect them. We do have term limits. They're called elections. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How often do elections usually occur? Because right now it seems like there's two districts. Yeah. Well, I can tell you when running for the Board of Supervisors, both times going door to door knocking, the first question that would always come up would be, oh, is there an election coming up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're starting in, you know, March or April, maybe. So that's a little before the June election. So that's a little understandable, I guess. But then the second question is almost always, so county supervisor, what's that? Exactly. <laughs> and it's a title people are vaguely aware of. A lot of people don't really know what the Board of Supervisors does. So the Board of Supervisors for any county is, almost any county, is divided into five districts. And unlike cities, you know, there's you know, a city here, a city there, you know, there's pockets of, you know, little cities here and there throughout the state or throughout the country, there's a lot of areas that aren't in cities, but there's no area that's not within a county. Every square foot of land in the United States is divided into, you know, one county or another. And the Board of Supervisors oversees all of the land use and public safety and other policy issues, development issues, things of that sort for that whole area, other than the pieces that are held within cities. So there's five districts in each county, and every two years, either two of those districts or three of those districts will be up for election. 
So this year we have the 4th and 5th districts that are up for election, and that 4th district is almost all the incorporated city of Eureka, and a little bit because it's Eureka has so much population. There's a small area of Myrtletown and out to Fairhaven that are also included within the 4th district. And then the 5th district is pretty much everything north or east of the Mad River. So McKinleyville, Trinidad, Oric, Mad River, Ruth Lake, Willow Creek, all of that. So the supervisors manage the unincorporated and incorporated parts of Humboldt County? The supervisors have, there's kind of split jurisdiction in some ways. The cities, where there's an incorporated city, they have their own city council that makes decisions regarding their budget, regarding development, regarding land use, and usually will have their own police department, may have fire departments. They may be, fire departments may be separate from either jurisdiction, which is how they are in Humboldt. But sometimes public safety is shared. Like with the cities of Blue Lake and Trinidad, don't have enough population of their own to really support having their own police department. And so they contract with the county for the sheriff's office. And even cities that do have their own police departments, they still work with the sheriff's office because the sheriff oversees the jail. So when they bring someone in, they, they get transferred over to county custody. And the county also holds the offices of you know, district attorney and public defender and probation and a lot of these other public safety-related offices that are unique to the county. Okay. And so what other officers or offices do they appoint? There are, and I can't remember the exact figure, but somewhere around 14 or 15, I believe, department heads within the county, some of which are separately elected. Like this year, we have the auditor controllers up for election, district attorney, the sheriff. And so some of those are not up to the board to appoint, but others such as the uh, director of planning, planning and building, public works, and a number of other offices throughout the county. And there's too many to really mention. But you know, certainly planning and building and public works, these are the things that affect everybody every day and certainly have a you know, the potential to have a strong impact on the environment. Right. So who you, who you elect to supervisor also influence who mm-hmm. they elect yeah. for things like planning and building. Yeah. But beyond that, there's also things of who they appoint within their own board to serve on different committees and different assignments, different agencies. Along with the county and the cities, there's all sorts of other public agencies within the county, such as, you know, to pick one, Humboldt Transit Authority that operates the bus systems. And that is made up of appointees of all the jurisdictions that use their bus services. And so there's two supervisors that sit on it, and then there's representatives from a number of the cities that sit on their board. And so they make policies regarding transportation that would affect a lot of people. There's the Humboldt Waste Management Authority, which also has supervisors from Humboldt County and city council members from the cities on there. And this affects you know, how garbage is collected and recycling issues. And these things you know, have a strong effect on the environment because how, how much are we going to invest in recycling? A couple of years ago, there was an issue of trying to build a food waste digester where we would actually create energy from food waste in Humboldt County. And the board at the time, which, again, is made up of, you know, representatives who are elected by the people and then appointed by their board or council to sit on this agency, they ultimately decided not to pursue that project. So there's a lot of ways that people may not realize that 
the people that they're electing are affecting a lot of other decisions that they're appointing people to serve in. Right. So you've touched on this a little bit, but the Board of Supervisors definitely impacts environmental work in the area mm-hmm. and influences decisions. Yeah. One of the main ways, the biggest way, and the thing that drew me into running for the board originally is through land use policies. And there's none of those that are as big as the general plan. The general plan is supposed to set the land use direction for the entire county for the next 20 years. And unfortunately, it took about 17 of those 20 years just to get a general plan passed. And whereas originally it was a really a good conservation-minded general plan with a lot of strong environmental protections. There was a lot of political change on the board in the course of the 17 years, a lot of it driven by fear about the general plan and, frankly, misinformation being spread about you know what the general plan would do, people being scared into thinking they were not going to be able to live on their land anymore, which was just simply not true. But that fear drove political elections raised a lot of money to run four of the current board members were all supported by money from the same sources. And in the time that they had the general plan before them, they really gutted a lot of the core issues of it. There's still a lot of good things in that plan. I don't want to you know, say otherwise, but the core land use decisions, just the idea of having a clear vision of what Humboldt County is going to look like 20 years from now, that was really just kind of pulled out of it. Another place Speaking of which, where the board makes appointments that really affect things is the planning commission. The planning commission makes most of the land use decisions for the county, and the only ones that go to the board of supervisors are ones that are appealed to them. The planning commission makes the decision someone doesn't like, and they want to file for an appeal, then the board will hear it. But otherwise, those decisions are all made by the commission itself. And they can be profound. Like just recently, we had the Mercer-Fraser project right on the banks of the Mad River, right across from the rainy wells that are the source of so much of the water for Humboldt County. And the concern that some of the chemicals that would be used in the processing for this is going to be a cannabis processing laboratory or facility, it raised concerns for a lot of people. That was a decision that would have been before the planning commission before, well, was before the planning commission before going to the board of supervisors. But ultimately, after a lot of community outcry, the applicant, Mercer Fraser, chose to pull that project and not bring it forward. But these are examples of things that have a really direct or have the potential to have a very direct impact on the environment and are the kind of decisions that are made you know, maybe not every day, but certainly on a regular basis throughout the year and certainly throughout the terms that supervisors serve. Right. So to our listeners, your vote really makes a difference. Yeah. It's important to recognize that even if the job and the title and, you know, God forbid, if you watch the meetings, you know, it can be, it can seem boring and dull <laughs> and all of that, but there's real work being done. And these, the things that they're dealing with have a real impact on the county, on the landscape, on our watersheds, on our coast, on whether we're going to oppose offshore drilling or support it, whether we're going to support dam removal, or right now there's a question of whether the board might support appointing someone to a body that would try to take over the Potter Valley Dam for the purpose of continuing to operate it rather than to remove the dam and return the water to the Eagle River. These are things that are yeah, decisions that are made by the Board of Supervisors, and it's very important that people be aware of them and that they vote for yeah, good, 
conservation-minded people that will keep the best interests of Humboldt County's future in mind. So where can those living within the election districts learn more about their candidates, what district they're living in, or the voting process? Well, a number of places. First off, by this point, everyone should have received their voter information pamphlet, Mm -hmm. and that'll tell you who you get to vote for. And again, the only districts that are up this cycle are the 4th District and the 5th District, and you only get to vote for one. (laughs) So people in Southern Humboldt and 3rd District, which is around Arcata, Mm -hmm. don't have a supervisor to vote for this go-around, but they will in two years from now. And there's lots of other things they can vote in within that. Yeah. A lot of other offices that are countywide, including, as mentioned, sheriff and district attorney, and those are things that are, you know, important offices. Of course, there's also the state offices. We're going to be looking at a new governor after eight years of Jerry Brown. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things for people to pay attention to. But I really believe, not just from my eight years on the board, but from the years before that, that there's no place that your vote can have more of an impact than at the local level. You really get to have a strong voice. You know, if you vote at the state level, you're one of, you know, I don't know the numbers, maybe 7 million voters out of a population of, uh, you know, 38 million, I Mm -hmm. believe it is. So your vote counts a little bit. When you vote here at the local level within your district, you're probably one of 7,000 voters, and your voice carries a lot more weight. These are people that you can see at the grocery store. You can go to their meetings. You can walk in any Tuesday and, you know, let them know what you're thinking or where you stand on an issue or how you want them to vote. Democracy is really very direct and accessible. And, you know, the simplest thing people can do to have a voice in it is to vote. But beyond that, they can get involved in these issues as they come up. They can have their voice heard or they can run for office. Again, there's going to be three seats up in two years. And, you know, if anyone's interested in looking at change in those districts, now's the time to start thinking about it. Thank you so much for joining us today to tell us a little bit more about that. Well, thanks for having me. So next we have clips from the May 10th Humboldt County Supervisors Candidate Forum. So you can listen in on the questions the NEC asked and the responses given by each candidate. The NEC co-sponsored this event and asked two questions in order to give more insight into the candidate's stance on some environmental issues. So here are the questions. Our next question is going to come from Larry Glass. Environmental degradation continues at an unprecedented rate in our rural parts of our county. If elected, what will you do to make sure that our environment is protected under the new cannabis regulatory scheme the county has implemented? Marianne. Gosh, you know, boy, do I agree. I, I am morally, ethically, and every other way I can think of opposed to having people growing on the top of the hill. I'm a little bit upset that so many folks have been able to get permits after they did so much environmental degradation to begin with. Oh, we've already cut everything down on top of the hill, so let's just go ahead and give you a permit if you do these few minor things to clean up. I, I think they should have been held legally responsible in the first place. I will do everything in my power to make sure that it just doesn't continue. I'd also like to take a moment and, and just remind everybody that while we're sitting here tonight, while we're waiting for tiny houses to be built, there's going to be people sleeping on the street, and they're going to wake up tomorrow and they're going to walk around. And that's why I'm t- very much in favor of finding a place for them to sleep tonight and have a place to sit tomorrow. 
Steve? Yeah, you know, the, the whole cannabis industry and the environmental degradation related to that is one of the big issues, but forestry has also been a big issue. And over the years, forestry has improved dramatically. We've really, over time, helped bring that industry to a place where it's doing a lot better work. It's building roads better. It's maintaining those roads better. There's still a long ways to go, but I'm proud to be teaching forestry at Humboldt State now after 30, 40 years of bringing that industry into a far more professional approach to things. We have a ways to go, as I said. But the cannabis industry, we've made some serious missteps. A lot of people think that everybody growing in the hills was creating environmental damage. And that's just simply not the facts. As you may know, I've spent my entire 45 years here in Humboldt doing watershed restoration, working all over the communities and watersheds in Humboldt County. And I can tell you that many of the early mom and pop growers in the hills were very responsible stewards and were not creating that environmental damage. It was after 215 passed, and a lot of people came into the hills just for the money, not for homesteading, but for the money. And they blew it up big. Yes, some of the original homesteaders' kids also blew it up big. And it was those people that under the Cannabis 1.0 ordinance that the board passed were incentivized to come out of the hills and start growing in our backyards in Fortuna and McKinneville and Fieldbrook. And they were given four times the growing area as an incentive. We can do better than that. It's killed the economy. 30% drop in sales in the county over the last year. That's jobs. That's income that goes to police, roads, and other things. I am looking forward to 3.0, where we can incentivize good stewardship and small growers, and yes, help them get their road associations to become functional and take care of the roads out there in the hills. But we have done a poor job of dealing with this in terms of environmental stuff. Now we've got hash labs next to the Mass River. Virginia. Ways that we do that. 
are by listening to the hundreds of farmers that have come to the Board of Supervisors, the very mom and pops we're trying to protect, who come to the Board of Supervisors in the hundreds to tell them that they are being taxed and priced and fined and feed out of their county. These are people who are part of our community that have donated to our schools, donated to our nonprofits, donated to many of our causes that we hold near and dear to our hearts in this community, and we are at very big risk of losing that beating heart of this community. I don't want to be like Napa. I don't want us to be in a community that only exists for tourism and not for the residents that live there. This is about our community and preserving the community that is here while allowing people to come back and appreciate what we have to offer. We can't have them appreciate what we have to offer if we are not addressing the legacy issues of environmental damage in this county. And it's certainly not all going to be done on the backs of the less than 300 people who are permitted today. And so you're not going to pay for that. And so it's not feasible that that little amount of permitted people are going to pay So, you know, while I applaud the effort to go forward, two years I did go before the law supervisors and explain that this very situation that we're facing today was what awaited us if we approached cannabis regulation in the manner that we have. And I hate to be the soothsayer there, but I, I look at where we sit now. Thank you. Our next question is going to come from Larry Glass with the North Coast Environmental Center. CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, is designed to give government agencies and the public the necessary information to make intelligent decisions about projects. Many times, these agencies try to take shortcuts. What would you do if elected to make sure we have full disclosure under CEQA with a particular <coughs> emphasis on cumulative effects analysis? Stephen. Well, in my career in watershed management, I deal with CEQA all the time. I also deal with the California Coastal Commission, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, the Water Board, you name it. I deal with state and federal agencies in order to get projects done. And these projects aid development. I am pro-development, but let me add a word in the middle. I'm pro-responsible development. Anybody, big, small, in between, that wants to do responsible development, I'm supportive of that. And so I have spent my whole career understanding these laws. I think they were designed for good reasons. Sometimes they get a little bit onerous, and I understand that. But in particular for the general public, the public feels like they're, you know, they're so onerous that it's difficult to deal with, so they start trying to work around them. In order to get the Hammond Trail built up in McKinneville, where I helped spearhead that working with the county when I worked at Redwood Community Action Agency, we had to get new easements from private landowners. Those landowners were hoping to build a house in the coastal zone on the bluff in McKinneville. I helped them get the permits to build their house for $150, and they gave us the easements for the Hammond Trail. So I helped them with what they wanted to do with their development, which was low impact, and in exchange we got public access. I helped form the Trinidad Bay Watershed Council to help Green Diamond get out of a situation where all the sediment from their roads was affecting the water supply in the bay. And I worked with them and they cost shared and kicked in a major amount of money to clean up Lufenolds Creek. We repaired septic systems. Lufenolds Creek now is not on the dirty list of bad beaches in California. I worked with the Breakup Mitigation Bank between Eureka and Arcata to help development happen in Eureka. So I'm all about finding those win-win solutions when working with environmental laws like CEQA, looking at the cumulative impacts, 
understanding the rules, and figuring out how to do good, sustainable development while protecting the environment. Virginia. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think people see who have looked at it as a burden, but it's really actually trying to be responsible and catch the problems that could exist, especially the cumulative effects. You know, I thought it was interesting mentioning how agencies, or agencies get around, and I, I can't help but think about the recent decision of the North Coast Rail Authority. You know, they were trying to say that because they, for whatever reason, federal you know, railroad, that secret didn't apply to them. So, you know, they took that to court, and that lost, and they appealed it, I believe, to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court declined to hear it. But, you know, that was probably the, the biggest case of one that I've seen that, that was, you know, I think they truly believed it didn't apply to them, but obviously um, sometimes people are mistaken. I, you know, for my, myself, I'm, there are probably ones where I have not, I'm going to, you know, like, see, someone, I mean, it's wonderful to have people in the community who really read over the materials, because we read over it, but sometimes it's so massive that we don't have, it's hard to, you know, is this right, is this right, have they done enough? So I, I look to the community and people like Steve who actually can bring things to us and say, well, you know, it says this in the report, but, you know, I'm thinking, did that really go far enough? Maybe it should be done more. So um, I still, CEQA is one of those things that is a mystery at times, and it's, uh, I really appreciate people who have a real thorough understanding and can see where those workarounds are. So I'm, I can work on that. Thank you. Danny. Uh, as an environmental planning consultant, I frequently interact with the laws of surrounding CEQA, and I was very well trained in CEQA and uh, EIRs at HSU, where I'm a proud alumna. And one of the things, like Larry mentioned, is that it's easy to kind of get around things because a lot of CEQA is very subjective. And unless you have people who are second pair of eyes watching out for those things, things can get past CEQA that maybe aren't in the best interest of the community. So having people who are intimately familiar with what CEQA requires and the you know things that pass muster in those reports and looking for deficiencies in those reports is important. And I think that uh, consulting people for that information when you don't have it yourself is, all, is equally as important. So it's, it requires a watchful eye by not only the community, but by our administrators. And, and unfortunately, we can't just rely on the best information to come out of a, you know, a place where the project's being proposed. And we have to further scrutinize that. Marianne. One of the ways to make sure we have full disclosure under CEQA is to make sure that the public is able to easily access some of the reports and studies and, and how they align with the projects. So I would work towards creating space on a website, on a page, that was very clear to understand, very easy to read, I'm technologically sound and strong and I can build my own websites, I would make sure that we had uh, the ability to share with the public what projects were happening, what CEQA, what the Environmental Quality Act, what the reports had to say, and allow the space for questions. What does that mean? Why does that mean that? What does that mean? I mean, we need a glossary, basically, to go with it. So I would work towards having an open and honest availability to have an easy access to the public. You have just listened to the NEC's questions to the candidates at the May 10th Humboldt County Supervisors Candidate Forum. The North Coast Environmental Center highly encourages you to vote for your district supervisor and other measures for the June 5th election and hope this helped you in the voting process. This has been the Econews Report. My name is Annie Maher, Programs Coordinator at the North Coast Environmental Center, and I've been your host for the past half hour. My guest today was Mark Lovelace, former 3rd District Supervisor for Humboldt County. Well, thank you so much. Really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All that you do. <laughs> thank you.
You also heard the North Coast Environmental Center's question at the Humboldt County Supervisors Candidate Forum on May 10th. You can find more information about your candidates by reading the NEC's candidate questionnaire at yournec.org slash projects, by visiting your county's Board of Supervisors website, or by visiting each candidate's websites to learn more about their issues. Also, don't forget, Ocean Night will be at June 7th at Arcata Theater Lounge at 630. This will be my last show as your NEC host, and I want to thank you all for tuning in. Future NEC shows will be hosted by the NEC's Executive Director, Larry Glass, and Administration and Development Director, Bella Waters, who will be bringing back the Eco News Roundup each month. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the KHSU archives at khsu.org. We're also podcasting. You can subscribe to Eco News Report on iTunes. The Eco News Report is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us for the next Eco News Report.